Hello, my name is Scott Bradley and this is Scott Squad Podcast. On today's show, I spoke with David Edgar, who is the founder and host of the highly successful Rangers podcast, Heart and Hand. We spoke about why he started the podcast, the rise of fan media, his clashes with David Murray, his experience as a spokesman for the Rangers Supporters Trust, the moment he found out Rangers went into administration, life watching Rangers in the lower leagues, what it was like reporting on Rangers with no fans in the stadium, all this and so much more. Enjoy the show. So David, it's an absolute pleasure to finally have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. So we'll just dive right into it, David. So you're the host and founder of the successful Rangers podcast, Heart and Hand. So what motivated you to start Heart and Hand and when did you? Started it in summer 2010, and the reason that uh, I did was well, a couple of reasons really. Um, I just finished up. I'd been the the spokesman for the Rangers Supporters Trust, and I decided to stop doing that after a while. Um, been doing it for five years, and it uh, it was quite a high profile role, so it kind of took its it took its toll on me um, a bit, but. Uh, the other thing was I just wanted to you know talk about Rangers, but uh, I'd got into podcasts. That was really the first I'd started listening was was that year, and it, the market wasn't you know as as packed as it is now. There, there weren't as many. So uh, as a football fan, I would listen to you know pretty much anything that was about. And there was uh, a couple that I really liked. One was called the Spurs Show, and one was um, uh, an Arsenal podcast called the Tuesday Club uh, with Alan Davis. And you didn't have to be a fan. I'm not a fan of either of those clubs, but they, you know, they were funny and they were they were interesting. And uh, so, you know, on a long commute, they they, they killed a bit of time. And uh, I, I was recommending them to a friend, and I said, you know, there's these two podcasts. You should you should check them out. Uh, and he listened to me come back. He says, it would be great if there was like a Rangers one of this. I said, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? And he went, well, you do it. And I said, ah. Don't know anything about it. He said, well, can't be that hard to learn. I said, well, fair enough. So I contacted the guys, um, the production company, Playback Media, who made those two shows, among others. Uh, and they said, right, OK, let's do a pilot. It was a lot different. The technology wasn't what it is now. You know, you had to physically get people round the room and set up mics and have the recording, uh, have the sound engineer and everything ready. And the edit, it took forever. But... Uh, we did, and I was confident that two things. One, that I found my mates and I funny and interesting, so I was confident other people would. And the other thing about it was uh, the way that Rangers fans were represented in the media, or rather not represented in the media. It wasn't a true portrayal of what we were like. You know, the, the whole the negative, the the connotations around, oh, they sung this song and, you know, it's all about politics. And it, and it was bollocks. I was, this is not what people talk about in the pub after a game. I want to do that. So that, that was the reason for, for starting it. Yeah, and obviously it's grown into such a success. It's even partners with Rangers now. So tell yeah. me, how did that one come about? The Well, the, the partnership, I mean, anyone can do it. Uh, the, the media partnership with Rangers. Basically what it is, is at the start of the year, Rangers um, decided that they would, rather than have just open press conferences that any press can get into, um, they would offer these packages for media packages. And it means you get access, you get uh, exclusives, uh, you get you know just information ahead of other media outlets. Uh, and we decided to pay for it. And it's been a source of a lot of criticism from the actual media itself. Um, I don't really get their, their point. If they don't want to pay Rangers for it, that's fair enough. That is entirely their business, but they don't get to criticise us because we chose to do it. We're fans. You know, the year before, when I was just in this, this sort of regular press, um, we'd put in, I think, something like £11,000 just in, you know, match sponsorship, player sponsorship, because we're Rangers fans. You know, we want to give money to the club. We're quite open about that. So this was an opportunity to, to do that and to put more money into the club. Uh, and that was that was the reason for it. So that's that's how it came about. And yeah, we have an agenda. That's the thing. We're open about our agenda. We don't claim to be neutral. We're not. I think we're balanced in our coverage. I don't think we, you know, we will we'll, we'll say anything 
uh, a bit. We, we won't see an opposition team as absolutely rubbish when they've quite clearly played well, anything like that. Not, nothing childish, but we'll assess it fairly. But yeah, we want Rangers to win. And we're upfront about that. And our interest is Rangers and we view everything through a Rangers prism. We're, we're quite open about that. We don't pretend we're neutral. So the opportunity came up to do it and we decided to to do it. And it's been it's been successful for us, it's been successful for the club. I think that that it's probably something that's that's here to stay. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree, David. And I was I'll ask you this, right? You mentioned the mainstream media there, how they're not a big fan of fan media. Why do you think that is? Like, look at the likes of Graham Spears now who's doing a podcast. Like, you started doing a podcast 10 years ago. He's doing a podcast, which, from what I gather, is not very successful. But why do you think mainstream media just don't like fan media at all? Because they they don't like fans, particularly. Um, You have to understand that, certainly when I was growing up, that there were kind of three pillars uh, in football. There was, you know, the football industry, i.e., players, managers, chairmen, right? There was the media and there was the supporters and they were all separate and the media were, we're your conduit to them, you come through us and that's how it's always been, so that's how it's always going to be. And then all of a sudden, fan media went, well, we're just going to skip you, you know, we're just going to get rid of that stage because we don't need you as a conduit to a club. Um, We don't need you to to go through a to get information and b to 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 get your views on the club we'd rather do it ourselves uh fan media wouldn't exist if the media were providing what supporters want i think that's probably the key point that that the media don't seem to understand that we could all do it but we wouldn't have an audience you know we, we could all make podcasts and nobody would listen we could all write articles that nobody would read if the mainstream media was providing uh, uh, was providing a service that, that fans liked. One of the things I, I've heard from a lot of media guys is they'll say to me, well, you know, the problem is the internet, people won't pay for content now. And I go, well, they pay for mine. What you mean is they won't pay for your content. You know, they, they'll pay for The Athletic. They'll pay for things that they like. You know, they'll pay for newspapers that they like. Uh, they won't, you know, pay for yours. That's that's not my fault. That's not the fans' fault. That's your fault. Um, and at any business, you know, the, if something comes along that disrupts it, they don't like it. Uh, and that's what we've done. We've come along and we've taken customers away from them, if you like. We've taken, you know, the, the influence away from them. And then the last step is when we are sitting in press conferences and they're not, it, it just offends them, you know. And, and But as I say, rather than looking at us, and blaming us for it, they might want to take on board how this situation has come about. And given that you know newspaper sales are dropping, you know month on month, I was going to say year on year, but it's actually quicker than that. You know the uh, if you look, the Daily Record sold eight hundred thousand copies in two thousand and two, and in, in, uh, in two thousand and twenty-two, it sells under sixty thousand a day. So you know it, it's a dying industry. Um, but as I say, yeah, the, the blacksmiths are, are upset, but rather than blaming the guys that are making cars, they should maybe adapt their own businesses. And obviously you were saying that you were a spokesman for the Rangers Supporters Trust back in the day, and this was yes. from the period when it was the Murray board that was uh, in charge. You had a, yes. very strange, a very strange relationship with the Murray board. Can you tell me about that? I'm strained was a good term yeah. for it as well. Um it, it was it was difficult for I think everyone because we we managed at the trust to get quite a big profile because I understood how the media worked that you, you're not going to get attention with um, you know thirteen page press releases you've got to give them a reason to put you in their, their paper or put you on the telly as it was at the time. Uh, and I was quite good at that. It meant sometimes I was a wee bit too abrasive, and you know, it's something as I've got older, I've I've looked at and went, mm, could have could have done that differently. But you know, you can only do your best with what you've got at the time. And we were critical of Murray because we knew where it was leading. That was the fact. We knew where it was going, um, and people didn't want to hear it, and he certainly didn't want to hear it. And it 
it was difficult for us to criticize because you have to understand, you know, given my age, I'd grown up in the nineties. David Murray was, you know, like the father of the club. You know, that that's what I'd grown up with. That here was this guy who came in and he'd spend all this money and it was exciting and it was glorious and we had all these great players. So it actually was a big jump for all of us to make to go, hang on, we're in all this debt, you know, we're having to get rid of players. What is he doing here? And I think that we sensed that we were heading for some bad times. No one near as bad as it got, obviously, but but we we had worries. Um, and he just, you know, he, he, I think, understandably, again, I get this now, that he would think, who are these nobodies to be criticising me? But I had that sort of, uh, I feel like that almost evangelical light of, I'm a supporter. You know, it's my club too. You might be the owner of it, but I'll be here after you've gone. You know, my family will be here after you've gone. My pals will be here after you've gone. Um, so, yeah, you're right. We do criticise you. Um, but he, he he hadn't been used to that. You know, he didn't get much criticism uh, in, in the early years and he found it difficult to take. So somebody that was coming out and, and out and out telling this very successful guy, you know, you are wrong and you are putting us in a course that's going to lead to some very negative was very difficult for him to to get his head around. And yeah, if you ever go in and meet David Murray, um, certainly then, he's a very imposing man. You know, he's 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 physically big because he uses crutches um, when very bravely, you know, because his doctors had advised him to use a wheelchair and he doesn't. He's got an enormous upper body. He's very, very strong. And, and he has that presence that obviously successful businessmen do. You know, you walk into a room and you know that they're there. Um, and we used to have some real ding-dong arguments, just, you know, shouting matches. Um, because if you didn't with them, then you were, you know, if he went to bully you and you let him, you could forget ever getting any anything out of him because he would have no respect for you whatsoever. So you had to sort of stand your ground. So although um, there were times where, uh, he didn't like me very much. I think the fact that he would continue to have anything to do with us sort of suggested that he at least respected the guys at the trust. Because I don't, what he could never figure out was in his world of business, you figure out what the other person wants and then you try to give them a, or come up with a solution that suits you both. And what he didn't understand was what we wanted was what we said we wanted, which was Rangers to be better and to be running better. Um, so we didn't want a club tie or a blazer or a job. You know, we just wanted Rangers to be successful. And I think that was where he struggled because coming from that, you know, alpha male business world, I think he struggled when he just met, you know, ordinary fans who were like, that's great. I don't, I don't want to work for you. I don't want to be the chief exec. I want to... You know, I want us to be better at set pieces. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I actually remember, I think this was a wee while ago, listening to one of your podcasts and you were talking about Martin Bain, how he was another person who just like wreaked arrogance. And when you were in a meeting with him, you and him really didn't click. Is, is that right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to say the least. I, I just don't think me and Martin Bain, our, our, like our personality would have got on anyway. And again, um, you know, the, a lot of words said. And and by the way, I don't want to make it out here that, that you know, I was I was right all the time or blameless. I wasn't. You know, the stuff I've, I said, stuff I did that I regret, um, there's stuff, you know, I'm sure that they look back on their time that the stuff they do and, and regret as well. You know, I was in my 20s. You feel you can take on the world at that point. Um, and you've, again, you've got that certainty of youth. Um, and as you get older, you realise that things aren't black and white. There's a lot of greys. Um, and that maybe you weren't right. Maybe you didn't have all the answers, you know? Uh, so again, I, I can totally understand what it must have been like for these guys who were very, very powerful people, rich, powerful people to have to put, to have to first of all put up with, you know, this, this you know, group of just ordinary people coming in and, telling them their business um so i can understand the resentment there but the key thing about it was we knew that something was wrong and i think that time has has unfortunately proved us to be right on that one 
Yeah, and obviously you resigned from being the spokesman for the Supporters Trust and you were saying it took a toll on you. And you like what in what way did it take a toll on you? Was it because, as you said, it was like you're in the public eye and maybe some Rangers fans would perceive you as like, oh, he thinks he's the voice of us, but really yeah. you're never trying to do that, you know? No, that was something uh, that I'd get a lot, you know, you think you're, you know, speak, you don't speak for me. Um, and you're right. And I would say that in terms of, you know, are you a member of the Rangers Supporters Trust? No. Well, I don't speak for you. I'm the spokesman for the Rangers Supporters Trust. Um, but again, let's be real and, and not deal in, you know, loyally distinctions. See, by the end up, even I was annoyed hearing my voice because, you know, it would be literally, I'd be in the paper nearly every day. I'd be on the telly twice a week. I'd be on the radio, on the phone and once a week, you know. And at the time, it was, the reason I did it is because you could point, physically I could point to like a spike in members every time that happened. You know what I mean? It it got the word out about the group, but it did mean uh, that I became sort of the face of it um, and became the voice of it. And, And because, you know, I'm a smart arse, I'm kind of hard to get the better of in an argument. Um, you know, you might be right about the issue, but I, I have a tendency to come up with a good line that will annoy you and you'll lose your place. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, I, I believe in, in Scottish schools, it's referred to as a mouthy wee shite. Uh, and that's one of the gifts that God gave me. So I could be, you know, I think a bit irritating, but because I had a bit of a public profile, I'm not going to kick you know, like double 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 z list um if even on the list at all but um you'd go out in glasgow and you would get you know celtic fans who clearly didn't like you um and you would get rangers fans and, and they would come up and you know start on you you would get it at work you know you're aware you'd walk into like a room and people would sort of look at you and go what's that that guy and and it just became really draining, you know, and there was a lot of pressure involved in it as well. Um, and also a lot of time, you know, and it was, you know, it's unpaid. So you get home from your, your day job and then you've maybe got four or five hours of this. And it doesn't leave really a lot of time for your family life, etc. cetera. So, um, yeah, again, I, I, I don't tend to, to sort of dwell on the past. It was what it was. I hope I've learned the lessons from it i think that's all you can do with any experience that you have both the good and the bad um i don't lie awake at night wishing i'd done something different because i can't it's it's been it's done you know there's nothing i can do that's going to change it but you can use it to maybe alter your future behavior um and i i hope that's that's what i did from it it, look the sum total of experience in my life has led to me being here tonight talking to you doing this um and doing the job i do and therefore, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing, even if I could, which I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but David, that's for sure. I think you'd be a great uh, heel manager in wrestling. That's for sure on the stick. <laughs> Aye. Like Paul. Oh, uh, and- definitely. <laughs> I definitely, you know, Bobby the Brain Heenan hero. Um, that that would be my my sort of thing. So, and it's exactly the same thing that, as you say, would happen to him. I'd end up being, you know, thrown about the cage by Hulk Hogan um, for for one one smart ass remark too many but um yeah look a big part of it was as well that one of the things I've, i, I kind of hated back then and it, it still grinds my gear the apologetic rangers fan you know the uh, i'm dead sorry that you hate us it must be our fault and i was like that's not me you know uh, so i was never going to you know be on my knees begging forgiveness from people if they didn't like us then you know that's on you it's not my fault um and if they were, you know, aggressive towards us, it would be met with aggression back. Uh, and that's probably, you know, that that's going to lead to conflict. That's going to lead to upsetting people. Sometimes it was meant to, you know, you, know, you said this not offended me. Good. I was trying to offend you. <laughs> you know, that's the, you, you, you support them and I support this team uh, and we don't like each other. It, that's fine. It's a, a rivalry. We're allowed. We're not supposed to, you know, totally agree on everything. So I think there was that as well. And, and as I say, you know, you would, you would make remarks and maybe go, oh, even just after it, you go, hmm, maybe shouldn't have said that. But once you've said it, you've said it and you need to sort of ride it out. But um, 
it was it was very interesting and i got to do a lot of cool things please don't think this is you know was me um i got to do a lot of cool things and it has led to the opportunities that i've had through heart and hand and uh because of that i'm i'm more than happy to you know hold my hands up and say well you know was i always right no um was i always honest and do my best yes uh and that's really all you can do isn't it yeah exactly david no you're spot on in what you said there then so eventually murray sold the club for one pound to craig white um what did you think about that at the time and did you get a weird feeling from craig white when he first came in Initially, I, th- I think like everybody else, I just believed the papers, you know. Um, and I was very consciously trying to stay out of, if you like, you know, club politics, which, you know, ever since the, the, the trust I have tried to do, because um, I've, I've done my time doing that. It's, just, it's not something I want involved in. So, you know, I was, I was taking things at face value, you know, billionaire wealth off the charts, as, as Keith Jackson told us. And then I remember, um, you know, seeing quite, uh, at Ibrox and they had on these really cheap buckly shoes um, uh, you might remember Stephen Gerrard wore buckly shoes but they were uh, about Louboutins you know they were <laughs> like 1500 quid shoes these were shoe fair 1999 shoes and I just thought that's a bit odd you know a billionaire <laughs> maybe hey maybe that's just what he's like you know so fair enough but then you know, as it went on, it was very clear, very quickly, I think, to all of us what was going on, you know, the the the, the transfer moves, the, you know, guy being rated at two million and Rangers bidding 350 grand. That's a bid to say you've made a bid. It's not a bid that you're serious about having to pay the money. And then, you know, when the, the wheels began to come off and and you're you're trying to tell yourself it's not true. We all were. We all wanted good news, but it, it just didn't. It, it, it didn't happen and then you know looking back now it all unfolded very quickly it didn't feel like it because it was just such an intense time in all of our lives as ranger supporters and you know the, there were three or four things happening every single day so it, it, it all mounted up and it took a, a big toll on all of us but when you look back it, it really did all unfold in about you know that this whole sordid story really unfolds in about four years really then obviously administration happened under uh, Craig White so can you tell me where you were when you found out Rangers went into administration yes I was on a train coming uh, back home to Glasgow from my parents in Ayrshire and a friend texted me and said uh, White submitted papers for Rangers to go into administration tomorrow so this was the 13th of February um and I was like, rumor or fact? He went, no, fact. The papers are in, and I knew that this guy would be would be telling the truth. Um, and yeah, and then just as I say, that was like for me, and I think for everybody else, like a trap door opening underneath you. And then we just we fell and we fell and we fell until we hit the bottom. But the bottom was a long way away. Did you ever think there was a real chance that Rangers could have actually went under? Yeah, I, I think. I think there were two stages of it. The first one was that summer when, yes, because I thought there was talk about making us not play for a year and then come back in the third division. I thought if this happens, that'll be it. Um, if, if, if it's broken, then that'll be it. It won't be the same thing. Um, and then the enormity of this, because it's beyond your comprehension. You know, there won't be a Rangers, you know, this huge part of your life. What the hell are you going to do? Um, and I, yeah, I'm a massive football fan. You know, a lot of my spare time is spent watching other football. You know, I, I love the, the sport. I love the game. Would I still watch it if, you know, I was carrying this huge deep heart around with me that my team weren't here anymore? Um, and then I think... The other low point was after the first EGM that Ashley won, where I thought there is going to be a Rangers, but what kind of Rangers? Is it going to be just this thing that he keeps feeding it enough to survive, but not enough to prosper? Kind of what you know he would go into doing a uh, you know a different scale at Newcastle, where it was, I it's the club and it's there and it's got all the hallmarks you remember, but it's not your club anymore 
um, and it's being kept on, you know, starvation rations, just enough to to keep open, keep playing games, and keep selling tatty sports merchandise. Um, and that was the other time where it was really painful, and I thought that you know the Rangers that I loved and had grown up with would no longer be in operation. But thankfully, thanks to Dave King and the Three Bears, that wasn't the case. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely, I know. And then, see, obviously Rangers got demoted to the lower leagues. Mm. I'm sure you were at Rangers' first uh, was, yeah, game against Brecon. And did it really hit home when you seen the ball, when it got stuck in the hedge, were you like, oh, God, this is going to be a long three years? No, absolutely. Um, everything about that day was surreal. Um, you turn up and there's a hedge, right? And then there's a ball stuck in the head and you're just going, Jesus Christ. And it would happen a lot through that whole era, but particularly the the start of it, you know, in the lower divisions where you were going to these places that were not built to hold Rangers supports, you know? Um, and you're, you're watching the team, uh, you know, can I swear? Or Yeah, you can swear all you want, David. Uh, <laughs> well, watching the team cluster fuck its way, you know, against with the best man in the world, junior, uh, you know, semi-professional, not junior, that's unfair, they're, profe- they're the semi-pro, but part-time footballers. And, you know, and it was hard to, because you knew you were going to get promoted. You knew you were probably going to win. Um the joy had been taken out of it. I've said before, the lower leagues was a prison sentence. That's what it was. It was just something we had to get through. Um, uh, but anyone who said that they took any enjoyment out of it. I remember the when we were getting the third division trophy that day at, at Ibrox in the May. And they had the big, you know, the big celebrations already and the music and the canon. And I just turned to my mate um, you know, about a minute and it went, I can't, can't deal with us, Samovsky. And he's like, no, I'm coming. And there were a lot of people my age, there were a lot of people who I think were there and, you know, trying to pretend no, no, you know, we, we've won this, it was the league we were in, we've won it, we get to celebrate it, but I just couldn't, I was just, no, this is, um, I, I can't in good conscience, it, it just made me too sad. Yeah, because like you experienced all the success, David, nine in a row, um, Rangers reaching UEFA Cup final, winning league titles, Champions League nights, and you're like, now, now you're seeing people trying to be happy about winning Division 3, and you're like, no, this is not for me, this is not the Rangers I know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah, so do you think it was a blessing, though, that and obviously in McCoy's last season, where he got put in garden leave, and then obviously Stuart McCall came in, do you think it was a blessing that season that we never got promoted? Oh, you never know. Um, I think that what might happen to us the following year would it have been significantly worse from what did happen to us when we did go up. Um, I, I don't know. And, you know, there, there was famously Pereira, the manager, would, would have come in then. Um, what I will say is that although Warburton, you know, certainly the way it ended, I don't think there was any tears, certainly not from me when he left what he did for the first time since we'd gone down and in that opening six month that season was he gave us a bit of a swagger back you know the team were playing great stuff um we were scudding teams and and that was the first sort of joy that we'd all felt i think since it happened and that was very important and i I think he does deserve credit for that i think history will reflect on it um and then, you know, maybe the fact we got to the cup final, we should have won it, but we got to the cup final and the, the expectation, because we were always desperate to go, right, that's it, we're back. That's it, we're back. You know, and we were looking for every single sign of it, that that was it, we've done it now, that's it, we're back. Um, and there were so many false starts with regards to that, uh, that that it was always, I think, liable to be that, because you weren't going to go back up. The way I put it is, is that... <laughs> See if you've had a heart attack and you wake up the next day and you feel you're terrible and you begin to recover a month later, you you, you feel better, much better compared to, to where you've been, but you, you still shouldn't be going back out and going to the gym yet. You know, you're always trying to speed up your recovery because you want to get back to normal as soon as you can. Uh, and I think that was something that we, we underestimated. Um, and of course that, 
created more frustration. Yeah, and so obviously after um, Warburton departed, obviously that the first two seasons Rangers were really struggling, and then Pedro Casinha came in. Um, if I recall right, you were really like you were like uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were quite a staunch defender of Pedro for a good while because you didn't like the way the media were kind of like laughing at him and just kind of like. They weren't any. They were just trying to make a like make a mocking out of him. I thought as well. Yeah, look, I, I wasn't a fan of him um, or his coaching because you know, right for the start, I don't think I saw enough. What I just didn't like, um, and you do get it in Scotland, was that look at this funny foreigner um, coming here with his strange ways um and I, I, I just didn't like the stench of the coverage of them uh that it, it's so difficult because you're kind of set up to fail uh and we don't like it in scotland and i remember you know mark Burchill talking about uh you know stephen gerrard complaining uh about tackling one of his players and he says uh yeah he's, he's come up here and he's telling us about and it's that insular attitude that I think has held Scottish football back for 30 years um, and we've been playing catch up ever since because that that's whole kind of was like his thing um, so I think Pedro was a victim of it I think Alfredo is a victim of it I think it happens at other clubs in different ways as well Ian Cathro when he was at Hearts you know being mocked because he he had a laptop um, I just think that we, we have a tendency to we keep doing that and we keep almost we need to go back to the tried and tested thing. You see, whenever Rangers get a bad result, one of the first things you'll see is, do they need a Scottish coach? Do they need a guy in there who knows what it's all about? Right, that's, you see that all the time. You need somebody in there who knows what it's all about. As if a guy can just go in there and say, "Man, we're Rangers! You know, it doesn't work like that. It's not, if it ever did, and I don't know if it did, but it certainly doesn't work like that now. Um and I think that it holds us back. And I think if you look at Scottish clubs' European records over the last, well, 40 years, we shouldn't be looking at our system of football. You know, Scotland have just qualified for the first tournament in 20, 23 years. We, we don't have the achievements list recently to be telling people we don't need to listen to your ideas about football. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I just want to just touch on what you mentioned there about Alfredo Morelos and the way he gets treated in the media. One thing that really does piss me off is, like, like the, the likes of Stewart and Spears, they, if Morelos does, like, the smallest thing, for example, gets a red card, they just slaughter him. But then you look at Lee Griffiths, we all know what he's been up to off the field, you know, and you see the likes of Spears and Stewart defending him and he's done all these horrible things and they don't criticise him at all. You've seen what Spears done the other week where he was saying, how do we protect David Goodwill? And you're like, it just it baffles me. I just don't, I don't get it, David. I really don't. No, I, again, it's, it's partially this that we don't like to be told that our way of doing it isn't isn't the right way of doing it, um, which I can understand is nobody likes that. But I think, as I say, if we were doing it and it was absolutely going to plan uh, and things were working spectacularly, then, you know, I'd, I'd have no problem. It would be totally fine that, that you know, why should we listen to these, these guys? They, they don't know what we're talking about. But the problem is, is that, we are in a situation where uh, we're in a situation where we haven't been successful and we haven't produced the players uh, that that other nations have, nations of similar size and resources. So clearly, there's something they're doing that we are not doing. And I just think it's common sense to go and maybe look and say, "What is the thing that you're doing that we're not doing?" and change. But in any business, you're always going to get, you know, vested interest people who are scared of the new and, and don't want change. The problem that you have is that change happens and you either go with it or you get left behind. And I think at times in Scotland, we've got left behind. And what annoys me is we've been almost defiantly left behind. Well, I it might be shite, but it's our shite. I think that's just such a reductive attitude. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, David. Um, but on a more positive note, um, when Stephen Gerrard came in, um, Rangers fans were buzzing. Uh, I was over the moon 
a box office appointment. Um, when you first heard the news about Steven Gerrard taking over at Rangers, what were you like? I'd heard the I'd heard the week before um, that there was something in it. And funnily enough, I actually texted a, f- a friend who worked at the Daily Record and I said, look, I've heard Gerrard's coming in with McAllister, he's number two. And he says, hang on, I'll ask the boys in the sports desk. And he came back, he went, they say it's shite, nothing in it. So, but then brilliantly the next day he got in touch, he said, but he said a couple of them are saying, well, hang on, his sources are usually better than ours when it comes to Rangers. So uh, I was like, right, fair enough. So I, I, I began to think there might be something in this, you know? And, you know, sure as fate, it, it all became clear and it started to happen. I felt it was huge because one, the attention, the, even if it didn't work, I just got a good feeling about it. I felt that it was going to be huge um, for the club in terms of the eyes of, you know, being back on us. I felt it would catapult us because I knew that he wouldn't have come in unless he got assurances about modernising the training ground, about, you know, his, his team, the likes of Michael Beale coming in. So I thought it would it would be massive for us. Um, and it was because it, it kind of had to work, you know, where, where would we have gone from there had it not? Um, and again, uh, you know, when people try to lessen what he did for us, and I understand why, you know, we as fans maybe did a bit as well when we were, you know, hurting because he'd left. But that underrates how big the gap was when he arrived. And remember that when he came in, the challenge was, we want you to overtake this team who are miles ahead of you, have a bigger wage budget and can buy more players than you for more money. I mean, that is a challenge. And the fact that he did it, uh, yeah, he won a, you know, he, he should have won uh, a couple of cups, at least along with it. But to get us back to the title within three years, I think history will show what a huge achievement that that was. Yeah, like, so obviously I was gutted the way Gerard left, right? But now when I reflect on it and think about it, I'm like, he literally transformed our club around. Like, if it wasn't for him, just say we appointed Derek McInnes four years ago, just say he took the job on. Celtic would have went on to win 10. Like, let's be honest, you know? Ah. But, yeah, but what would you say Stephen Gerrard's legacy is overall? Uh, and how important was winning 55? Do you think that was Rangers' biggest title uh, like in our history? I don't know about that, in all honesty. Um, I, I, I haven't been about for all of them. It was the biggest in my lifetime. I always thought 86, 87 would be, but this one, given everything we'd gone through, um, you know, I wasn't about for the one that ended Celtics 9 in a row. I wasn't about for, um, you know, ones previous to that. So it's difficult, but certainly I would say that it's the biggest of my lifetime and I'm in my mid-40s. Um, because, yeah, I mean, had they, we had to, to do it for ourselves, you know? I mean, we were we were desperate to win the title. That's the other thing, you know, if Stephen Gerrard had won both Cups three years in a row and Celtic were booking an open-top bus for 10 in a row, you know, would you have went, ah, but we've won six Cups? No. <laughs> We had to win the league, right? And now, moving forward, yeah, we want the Cups as well, but we had to win the league. We had to do it. Um, uh, And I think we did have to do it because I think the psychological issue, if they'd got to 10, would have given them a real big start moving forward. So, um, yeah, what I think the biggest thing Gerard did for us was he stopped us being a joke. And we were a joke. When he remember that five each game we had, you know, some of the players, you know, having to sack the interim manager, Celtic running about laughing at us, high-fiving as he scudded us twice. He immediately stopped that. You know, we immediately got into the the Europa League. You know, we got that win against Celtic. He did all that. He, he stopped Rangers being a joke. Um, and then he then took us on and he delivered the thing that we all wanted more than anything. Did he have his flaws? Yes, he did. That'll happen with somebody who's in their first managerial job. Um was I gutted that he left? Yes, I was. Um, but in time, yeah, I'm certainly going to be easy to go back and go, well, no, what you did for us is huge. And it, and it is huge. And I think in time, you know, people will see him as a significant figure in our history. 
Yeah, no, like, like that's the thing, though. No. Yeah, he'll go down as like I'll, I'll, I'll always have huge respect for what he what he done for us. And see Aston Villa, I want him to do well. I do because, like as you said, if Celtic had went on to do ten, they would just go on about that for years and years and yeah. years. You know, and it's always great to go back and watch them sing about that pretty much like every single game. It's uh, <laughs> I'll never get old, mate. I'll never get old. <laughs> well, that that that's exactly it. And you know that that are we 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 weren't really bothered. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. Um, because we knew how much it meant to them, and also the fear they had of us winning a title because a winning a title meant we were back. Um, over and above everything else, winning a title meant we were back, and they could no longer. Uh, you know, cling on to this thing that Scottish football had shifted in its axis forever. It clearly now hasn't. Um, and you know, whether they will ever truly accept it. And, you know, the, if you want to spend your life going about Twitter to see any mention of Rangers and going, Rangers are dead, that's fine. Knock yourself out. It wouldn't be me. But, uh, you know, don't think for one second, any Celtic supporter, that you guys pretending we're dead made last season any less sweet for any Rangers fan because it sure as hell didn't. Yeah, so we'll just finish off, uh, David, with some quick-fire questions. And obviously you're a big wrestling fan and, and uh, it's a bit of word association as they do in the shoot interviews. So yep. here's the last one. Ronaldo or Messi? Messi. Vince Russo or Jim Cornette? Oh, Cornette, not even close. <laughs> But I mean, you know Vince Russell follows me on Twitter, so he does. Well, um, tell him I said he's an arsehole. Um, <laughs> I, if there's one thing, I can't stand him or his booking, but also the, uh, I had the misfortune to read one of his books where uh, there's nothing worse than somebody who pretends to believe in something uh, that they don't actually believe in. And in his case, um, anyone who's that insecure about their own Christianity isn't a Christian. Um, because if you feel the need to shout at people about it every 10 seconds, then you're just trying to mask your own insecurity. Favourite Rangers player of all time? Ali. The worst Rangers game you've ever been to? Christ. Uh, oh, that, that's a tough, that is a real tough one. Uh, Ramsden's Cup final, Wraith Rovers, Hibs lost one now. Um, and just walking at the stadium that day, you know, given the whole circumstances, just thinking, what the f- is this? Yeah, I remember that day. I think we were playing Ricky Foster left back. I think McCoy's brought Foster on to play him there, and then obviously they went and won. It was just, yeah, just it was, very it, dark it, day. It, it, it was everything that was wrong at that time in one ghastly package. Yeah, bad, bad days. Um, the best Rangers game you've ever been to? Uh, Gaza eight in a row game 1990, uh, 1996 when we beat Aberdeen 3-1 he scored the hat trick that was good uh, that, that's the one that just you know, was absolutely perfect I mean I've been very fortunate I've got some amazing Rangers games Rangers performances um, and then I was fortunate enough to be in the stadium last season uh, during lockdown and being there the you know when we beat Celtic 4-1 for example, the, the the game against Motherwell, the one that I think most people would agree, um, you know, was a real turning point towards the title. When when it put that header away, just you know, it might be an empty stadium, but I think I made enough noise for a few thousand of us. Yeah, can I actually quickly ask you that? What was that like then, going to the games with no fans there at all, and you can actually hear the players like shout at each other? Yeah, well, it was very odd, obviously. Um, you, you, you're honoured because you're there and you're very well aware. You know, If anyone thinks I don't know how lucky I was, I do. Okay, so please don't think for a second that I don't. Um, but the one that it really struck me was we were playing uh, Galatasaray in the Europa League qualifiers, the, the knockout round, and it was a lovely night. And that Thursday, you know, I was thinking... Everybody would be, you know, Glasgow would be buzzing. So I'm coming up on the train from Ayrshire. There's nobody on the train, rush hour, nobody on the train. I'm walking through Glasgow City Centre, there's nobody there. I mean, there's maybe two or three people in Glasgow City Centre at six o'clock on a Thursday. Go to Ibrox, 
European night, everybody's been talking about it. Social media is all the same, your mates are all the same, but there's nobody here. And went into the ground and before the games, they would always play all the music and do the announcements, you know, as if it was normal. Um, so the music's blaring and the players are warming up. And if you, you know, don't look at the stands, it's all, you know, here we go, the atmosphere's pumping. And then the music stopped, the ref blew his whistle and silence. There should have been, a, you know, like a plane taking off roar from the supporters and there wasn't because there was nobody there. And I thought, wow. And then somebody actually asked me, there's a clip on one of my social media accounts of Rangers versus Celtic, the New Year game, crucial game. They're going for 10 in a row. We are going for our first title in 10 years. This game is huge. This New Year game, it hinges. And I just filmed it on my phone for a few seconds, this silence broken up by some shouts from the park. It's just, you know, it was uh, an incredible experience. Um, they weren't all positive. I was there when St Mirren scored in the last minute to knock us out the league Cavs, the only Rangers fan on the ground that night, um, apart from you know, the Rangers staff. Uh, so that, that wasn't fun. But it, the whole season was an incredible year. And I, and I didn't go, I didn't, I haven't talked a lot about my experiences. You know, I would report on the games and try to bring some atmosphere to, to people. Um, but I didn't want to talk about what it was like for me to do it because people didn't want to hear it. And I understood that I wouldn't want to hear it if it was somebody else. So uh, in time, when, you know, people are back and they're a wee bit more able to hear it with it going, you prick, then I'll do it. And then I'll talk about what it was like. Um, your favourite wrestler of all time? Uh, Sean. Favourite wrestling match? Oh, that is a good one. Um, oh, that is a really good one. Uh, I haven't thought about this for a wee while. Uh, it, it would be... See, there's some great modern ones. Um, but there's nothing like when you were a wee boy, I think. And you see a match and, you know, you believe wholly, you know, um, you, you absolutely believe that it's real. So with that in mind, I'd probably say WrestleMania 7, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man Randy Savage, Macho King as he was at the time, retirement match. I genuinely, you know, was a wee boy and I thought it was real. And just the whole thing was perfectly done. And again, remember, you only got like four pay-per-views a year at the time and you only saw the stars wrestle each other on the pay-per-view the rest of the week was just jobber matches. So you've been waiting for this for three months, you know, literally every week on the telly, these two talking about what they're going to do to each other. So yeah, that one for me, it's not, it's not, the high, it's not a bad match, especially considering the Ultimate Warriors in it, um, but for just sheer emotion, it's, it's hard to top. Your favourite wrestling podcast? I, I don't really listen. I'm a bit of a laps fan now because Vince finally, you know, after years, made me cut the cord where I just thought I'm fed up having my intelligence uh, abused. And uh, I, I just when I got away from it, I actually was glad to have the time back. So I'll probably go back one day, but it's been a wee while. But the, the one... I was actually a big um, MLW fan so uh obviously uh when it first started i think uh the bruce pritchard one was just so different the early days of it you know the ones that would be like six hours yeah which breaks every podcast law in the world right you know you shouldn't be doing six hour podcasts um and i hate to be that guy but i, I was actually a subscriber to mlw podcast so I remember one week Bruce Pritchard was on that saying, hi, I'm starting a new show. And I thought oh, that'd be interesting. You know, Bruce Pritchard was WWE guy. I didn't think it would be the thing that it turned into, you know. Um, so, yeah, I listened to the first one and remember saying to my mates, you've got to go and listen to us. This is, you know, amazing, the stuff that they're, they're doing with it. So, yeah, that one for me was, was, uh, was excellent. There was actually one about 10 years ago now. Be slightly... More called uh, I Want Wrestling but, uh, with Dave Lagana. Um, and again, unfortunately, it did quite well and he ended up back in wrestling as they all do. 
uh, you know, if the, if the podcast takes off, they all get a job uh, and it stops the podcast being good. But it was really interesting. They had a couple of months where it was just him and ex-WWE writers. And that was the first time that that had happened. And you were getting the insight into what they were all like. Uh, I think the episodes are still out there somewhere. Um, it's kind of dated now, but uh, it only lasted about four months. But it, it's worth checking out. Yeah, I just always listen to it's something to wrestle with. It was it was great at the start, but now Bruce is back in WWE. Yeah, he can't. Yeah. He can't really say too he much. Can't, can't he can't. The first the first year of it was you know, and, and uh, that does sound wanky because I've you know, um, you know, oh well, I listened to it when it was cool, but he 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 didn't care. He didn't think he was going back into WWE. And you hadn't heard anything like it. So that as well, after a while, you know, things, you know, they can be, they can be anything they want, but they can never be new again. And, you know, the first few weeks when he was giving you these insights into matches that you just had no idea um, and, and things that had gone on. And he's funny and Conrad was funny. And, yeah, it's just, it's like anything else. After a while, you, you know, it, it stopped being as special, but certainly that first year it was a genuine appointment. You know, it would drop what five o'clock in the UK every Friday, and that'd be me quite happy Friday night. Get that on, sit and, uh, sit and listen. Yeah, so the last question is Will Rangers win 56? Well, yeah, they, we will. Um, do you mean this year? This year, yes. Yeah, this year. Uh, yeah, yeah we, we definitely will. I mean, at some point, I don't think Celtic will win infinity titles in a row. Uh, yeah, I think we will win it this year. I think that they've peaked a wee bit too early. I do. I think as well that Rangers should have had the winners. I think Rangers are the better team. And you look at the amount of stupid points we've dropped this year. I think that it actually took us to lose the lead to light a fire under the players. I think all year they'd been going, hey, but we're still ahead. You know, ah, you know we're still ahead. Um, so it'll be tighter than it should have been. It should have been over, you know, April uh, again this year. But I do think that that will have a wee bit too much for them. Yeah, no, I agree. And obviously, the last two games we've seen a very strong response. So yeah, I'm very confident we will go on and win the title. Yeah, I, think did, so. I agree. Like we're just, it's our own fault why they're in this title race now because we've dropped daft points. That that's yeah. it, really. Wait, the the. They came in, you know, with a bit of a hangover from last year. You know, it's monumental achievement. Um, and I think that the fact that at the start of the season, they were able to get away with it and Celtic were a bit of a bin fire, that they just thought, oh, it's going to be fine, you know. And then the old firm game, the first one, you know, look, that's how much better than, than this lot we are. Trust us, we've got it when we need it. Uh and then I think it did take the the lead being reduced to, to actually make them go, no, hang on a minute, you know, we need to we need to get back to what we're doing. And too early to say for sure if that's the case. But also uh, I just get the, the feeling that Celtic have maybe just peaked a wee bit too soon. Um, which is understandable, you know, a title race is there's experience in it, um, and they don't have it. Uh so we'll see. I might be totally wrong, but I don't think I am. So David, thank you very much for coming on. It's a pleasure. Pleasure, mate.